title for today's message is From Fear to Faith. And I want to read a good chunk of a passage, quite a long section, in Luke 8. So if you want to turn there, yours might be quite different from mine. Because I'm reading in a looser translation. So you may wish to follow it, or you may just wish to listen. This is from N.T. Wright's um, Contemporary Translation of the New Testament. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and suggested that they cross to the other shore. So they set off. As they were sailing, he fell asleep. A violent wind swept down on the lake and the boat began to fill dangerously with water. Master, master, shouted the disciples, coming and waking him. Master, we're lost. He got up and scolded the wind and the waves. And they stopped and there was a flat calm. Where's your faith? he asked them. They were afraid and astonished. Who is this then? they asked one another. If he can give orders to wind and water and they obey him. And they sailed to the land of the Gerasenes, which is on the other side of Galilee. As he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he didn't live in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he screamed and fell down in front of him. You and me, Jesus, you and me, he yelled at the top of his voice. What is it with you and me, you son of the most high God? Don't torch me, please, please don't torment me. Jesus was commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times over it, it had seized him and he was kept under guard and chains and manacles and he used to break the shackles and the demon would drive him into the desert. What's your name, Jesus asked him. Regiment, replied the man. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to order them to be sent into the pit. A sizable herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged him to allow them to go into them. He gave them permission, and the demons went out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake and were drowned. The herdsmen saw what had happened, and they took to their heels and spread the news in town and country, and people came out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting there at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. People who had seen how the demoniac had been healed explained it to them. And the whole crowd from the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to go away from them, because great terror had seized them. So he got into the boat and returned. The man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus to let him stay with him, but he sent him away. Go back to your home, he said, and tell them what God has done for you. And he went off around every town declaring what Jesus had done for him. And Jesus returned. A large crowd was waiting for him and welcomed him back. A man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell down in front of his feet. And he pleaded with him to come to his house because he had only an only daughter, 12 years old, who was dying. So they set off and the crowd pressed in around him. There was a woman who had an internal hemorrhage for 12 years. She had spent all she had on doctors, but had not been able to find a cure from anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his robe. Immediately, her flow of blood dried up. Who touched me? asked Jesus. Everybody denied it. Master, said Peter, the crowds are crushing in, in on you and pressing you. Somebody touched me, said Jesus. Power went out from me, and I knew it. And when the woman saw 
that she could not remain hidden. She came up trembling and fell down in front of him. She told him in front of everyone why she had touched him and how she had been healed instantly. Daughter, said Jesus, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone arrived from the synagogue's house, synagogue ruler's house. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't be afraid, said Jesus when he heard it. Just believe and she will be rescued. When they got to the house, he didn't let anyone come in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. And everyone was weeping and wailing for her. Don't cry, said Jesus. She isn't dead. She's asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand. Get up, child, he called. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. He told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he told them to tell nobody what had happened. Sometimes it's good to hear the full stretch of a, of a particular passage. Read them in context. Read the, the stories of Jesus in context rather than just one off. Because they all link together. And particularly in Luke, one follows on from another and he's building up a picture for us of something that we need to understand. And this whole passage follows on from the beginning of the chapter, which was the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, Jesus lays out different responses of people to the message of the kingdom and how it will either be fruitful or unfruitful in people's lives, depending on the type of soil their heart is made up of. And we then see this acted out immediately in the response of his family to the message. What do his family do? They think he's gone mad and they come to take him home. There's his hard heart, um, hard soil in their heart. But instead he affirms that those who accept the message of the kingdom are more his family than those who reject it, even though they might be blood relatives. There then follows these four incidents, which all demonstrate the message of the kingdom in action. Jesus stills the storm. Jesus delivers the demoniac. Jesus heals and restores the woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. And in these four incidents we see Jesus' power over nature, his power over the demonic, his power over physical sickness, and his power over death. And in, in response to all of them, we see the way people react to those particular power encounters throughout the narrative. And we see very consistently people are either in fear or in faith. Some want to join Jesus, some want to laugh at him. And we'll consider these different responses as we work through the narrative. We'll also consider the incidents in pairs because Luke has very carefully positioned them together so as to give emphasis. And so they are actually fall quite specifically and deliberately in pairs in the narrative. So first of all, the stilling of the storm and the delivery, deliverance of the demoniac. In both these incidents, Jesus' authority and power are demonstrated. In both incidents, chaotic forces are overcome. In both incidents, some respond with fear rather than with faith. And remember, Jesus is looking for ground that will bring forth a harvest. Ground that is full of fear will not bring forth a fruitful harvest. God, Jesus looks for faith. And in the first of these incidents, the disciples find themselves in a perilous situation. 
They're on the sea, and a squall blows up. And some of these were hardy fishermen. They would be used to such things. But the narrative tells us very clearly that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. If you're used to fishing, and suddenly you're in a situation that's out of your control, what will your response be? Fear. It's fear. And that's what grips them, fear. They see the situation, they see their peril, and quite reasonably, we would think, they're gripped with fear. Even they couldn't negotiate this storm. And in desperation, they woke Jesus up. Quite how he was sleeping in the midst of a storm is hard to grasp. And he dealt with the storm with a command. And the word rebuked is the word used. He, he, he told it off. He told the storm off. What would we people think if we went outside when it's a storm and told it off? <laughs> I tell you, storm, you're a naughty storm. Whether it was a demonic force behind the storm or just a natural storm is unclear from the narrative. Either way, Jesus shows himself as Yahweh. Yahweh is pictured in the Old Testament as the God who overcomes the forces of chaos, who, who takes the, 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 the forces of chaos in the water, and you see it in the, the, the images of these um, Old Testament um, sea monsters like the Leviathan and so on. That, that, that God has brought forth order and creation out of chaos. And Jesus demonstrates the same power in dealing with the storm, with a rebuke or command. He then turns to the disciples, and his rebuke hasn't finished yet. He tells them off. Where is your faith? You can't have help but have some sympathy with them here. And yet Jesus was looking for a greater level of faith from them, since they were already in. They were his disciples. They'd walked with him. They'd listened to his words. They'd seen some of his miracles. And so he was expecting a greater level of trust in him. Why? Because they knew him. They knew him. They knew who he was. They were beginning to understand something of who he was. You see, in life, things can make us fearful. But what gives us faith is knowing him. Knowing that he is able to overcome. Knowing that he is stronger. That he is more powerful. That he holds all things in his hand. Yes, those things might make us fearful if we look at them. But if instead we look to him. The one who is able to sustain. The one who is able to overcome. The one who is able to deal with the storms of life. Who stands with us. Then we can stand in faith, not in fear. The secret is in knowing him. How well do you know him today? How well do you know him? And how much time do you spend with him? Because it's by spending time with him that you will know him and know him deeper. And know that sense of faith in your heart, when you stand in the midst of the storm. Don't be a stranger. Know the Lord. When the storms of life threaten to overwhelm us, where is our faith? Their response was the right one, to turn to him. But they did so in fear. 
of being overcome and not in faith. We are those who know him. We have been saved by him, who walk with him day by day. And when life throws its storms at us, he expects us to trust in him in faith, that he can see us through. That's not to say that that the things that threaten us are not real and they're not scary. Of course they are. But we have one who walks with us, who can overcome the storms and bring us through to safety. So the question is, where is our faith? Is it in him? At the end of this incident, incident, the disciples have not yet come through to faith. They're still asking, who is this? Who is it? They don't yet know him, even though they've called him master. They're amazed at his power over the elements, but they remain in fear because they've not yet fully put their faith in Jesus. In the second incident, the incident of the demoniac, Jesus makes his first and only foray into the Gentile world throughout the Gospels. When he crossed over from Galilee to Gennesaret, he crossed into the Gentile world. He crossed out of Israel into non-Israel. Effectively, um, Jordan, Syria area today. In crossing over the Galilee, Jesus is sowing seed beyond the territory of of Israel. And this is shown by the pigs that are being herded, which were bred specifically to feed the Roman legions and could not be bred within the regions of Galilee or Judea. So the lessons of the parable of the sower, coming back to where we started, are valid not just for the Jewish world, but for the Gentile world too. And Jesus is demonstrating this. And Jesus looks for ground that will yield a harvest. And such ground is not limited by ethnicity, geographical boundary, or predisposition. What Jesus looks for is a response of faith. And this response is seen ultimately in the delivered demoniac. But the message hits harder ground in the hearts of the locals who reject Jesus and his message. Why? Because of fear. Verse 37. And within the narrative itself, we see Jesus get off the boat and immediately he encounters demonic opposition. And when we break new ground or begin new things, we should not be surprised if we encounter opposition. The enemy is not happy to have his territory taken away. Whether that is people or situations, Jesus, however, does not need the demonic affirmation since he knows who he is. He deals with the demons and sets the man free from satanic control. Now there is a wonderful parallelism as you read through the, through the scriptures on this passage. In verse 27, the man had many demons. In verse 35, the demons had gone out of the man. In verse 27, he had no clothes. In verse 35, he was clothed. In verse 27, he didn't live in a house but in the tombs. In verse 39, he's told to return to his house. In verse 28, he fell down before him and shouted. In verse 35, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. In verse 29, the demon seized him and he was out of control. In verse 35, he was in his right mind. We see the negative before we see the positive. And each of those is reversed through what Jesus does with this man. He reverses everything and brings the man to wholeness. And the word used in the passage, verse 36, for healed, is the word sozo, which means saved completely. He doesn't just leave him 
half half saved. He delivers him completely and fully. When God's salvation is seen, whether in salvation, healing or deliverance, it will always polarise opinion. The locals didn't like what was going on and opposed Jesus. The world doesn't like it when we make known the good news, as it forces them into a decision concerning the truth of what we say. These people chose to stay in fear instead of moving into faith. The world too will reject the message through fear. It's too complicated. It means change. I'll have to give things up. But where the message hits receptive ground, a harvest will follow. And the conclusion of this incident sees the demoniac witnessing to the salvation of God, spreading throughout all the region what God had done for him. And all who have been saved should do the same. If nothing else, that's the job that God has given to each one of us. What he's done. Tell it, tell it, share it, rejoice in it. Share what difference it's made. At very least, we owe him that. Then we come to the second two incidents. Jesus heals a sick woman and raises a dead girl. These two incidents, which take place after Jesus has sailed back across the lake, are interwoven with each other. We start off with one story, and then another breaks in, before we return again to the first story. And in both incidents, we see the power of the gospel transforming lives. Once more in these incidents, we have the contrast between fear and faith. Fear and faith, those two words, are woven throughout this whole chapter. It's there to be seen, it's there to be uh, teased out. Once more, yeah, once more, Luke is emphasizing that fear will hinder the harvest that faith will produce. The passage begins by telling us that the little girl was dying. This would su- suggest that urgency is required on the part of Jesus. However, even o- as he's on his way to Jairus' house, he notices the touch of the woman in the crowd, which causes power to heal to go out from him. But by the time he's dealt with this woman, it seems it's too late for Jairus' daughter. Regarding the woman, in her desperate need, she overcomes her fear and reaches out in faith. What was she afraid of? Fear of being noticed because she was known to be unclean. Fear of rejection. Fear of exposure. And yet her faith that Jesus can heal her lifts her above fear. And she reaches out to Jesus and receives the reward for her faith. However, Jesus is not content just that she receives physical healing. He calls her out of the crowd and affirms her new status of clean for all to see. She's no longer unclean, but she is healed. He restores her before the whole community. He brings her back into being one of the people of God. In verse 47, notice, she came trembling And fell at his feet. Her fear is not dealt with, but it's a different kind of fear. It's a different kind of fear because it's a fear of exposure. Despite knowing she was healed, she still was in fear of public exposure. And Jesus was asking her to acknowledge that she, an unclean woman, had touched him before the whole crowd. Her problem, you see, was not just her sickness, 
but her social position as a result of her ritual uncleanness, which rendered her outside of the community. But Jesus publicly restored her so that she no longer needed to fear the censure of the people or their rejection. He then affirmed that her faith response was the key to her healing, her overcoming of fear and trusting in him as the one who could deliver her, overcame and released his power into her life. If we want to see God move more powerfully in us and through us, we cannot stay in a position of fear. We cannot stay in that place of fearing what other people think, fearing the outcome of our actions, fearing what will become of this. We need to move from fear into faith, in trusting the one who has called us and set us free. Fear will keep us bound in ineffective. Fear is overcome by faith. It's not a vague hope that God can do something. It's a confident belief in the power of God over all sickness and disease. Constantly we live with fear in a fear-mongering society. We hear about this disease or that new viral strain. This can give me cancer. That can be a threat to my health. Yes, they may be. But my God is bigger than all of these things. He's able to overcome them. And even if he doesn't do it in this life, he is still bigger than anything and will see me through. I will not live in fear of such things. I will not live in fear of what might happen or what this disease or that sickness could do to me. It may do. I don't know my days. I don't know what's going to come in the years to come. But my God is bigger and he will see me through. And even if he doesn't heal me, I've got a hope in glory. We return now to Jairus' daughter. Word comes that she's dead. That Jesus doesn't need to be bothered anymore. What's his response to the, to the couple? Verse 50. Don't be afraid. Don't stay in fear of what's going to happen to your daughter. Just believe and she'll be healed. And once more, Jesus contrasts fear with faith. On entering the house, the public mourning has already begun. The people there are faced with the reality of the situation. She is dead. Nothing can be done. Hence they laugh at Jesus when he says she's just asleep. And here we have the classic difference between truth and facts. The facts were that she was dead. He couldn't argue with the facts. Nothing could be done. It was an end. It was finished. It was over. He was wasting his time. That's the facts. The truth was that Jesus is bigger than death. And that indeed he has conquered it. He can even overcome it in the life of this little girl. Which is exactly what he does. Now, I'm not promising anyone that he's going to overcome death if you die tomorrow. But I can promise you this. You have the promise of resurrection. And he will bring you back to life and bring you back into fullness. And not just as you are now, but with an incorruptible body and with a body that will not fail and will not fall and will not die. And that's our hope. That's our Christian hope.
I'm sure there are a few people in that house left scratching their heads. But we saw her. We know she was dead. How come she's now alive? Did we get it wrong? Did we forget how to take her pulse or something? There is no situation too far gone that Jesus cannot resurrect. Maybe it's a child who has gone away from the faith. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken down. Maybe it's an incident from the past that seems to haunt you. The truth is God is bigger. He is able to overcome. And he wants to move you from a position of fear to faith. Don't be afraid of what's happened or what the outcome has been. Only believe. Believe that he is bigger, that he's able to bring life to the dead, that he's able to restore utterly as he did the demoniac, that he has power over the elements, just as he calmed the storm. Fear must give way to faith that encompasses a proper recognition of Jesus' identity and trust in his ability to provide salvation, sozo in all its forms. See, the message of the kingdom brings about a harvest for the demoniac, for the woman, for the little girl. Why? Because it's received with faith. May it bring about a harvest in our lives, and in the lives of those we are praying for and seeking to reach with this same good news. This week, some of us are going to India. With those going, would you like to stand for a moment? Where you are. There's one other as well, which is Katie, my daughter, but she's not here. Um, we will encounter people who need healing who need salvation who need deliverance they may need God's touch on their finances they may need wisdom to find a marriage partner that's a frequent thing they may want a touch in order to be able to conceive pray for us pray that we stay in faith and are able to minister God's sozo to all we encounter and could I encourage you to gather around those who are standing And pray for them now. And Father, we pray for each one that you will be with them, that your spirit will be with them this week, that your anointing will rest upon them as they as they travel, your protection. But also, Lord God, that each one might come back with a testimony of what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen.